This message was recorded at the Redeemed Christian Church of God Salvation Center, where we're maximizing potential and fulfilling destiny. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to the following message. Thank you for your loving kindness, for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, as we look into your word of life this morning, Jehovah, please speak to us. Teach us by yourself. Holy Spirit, reveal us to us that we may see how you see us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So last week we started a sermon series that we called Rebuilding the Waste Places. Rebuilding the Waste Places. And last week we talked about recognizing the desolation. Recognizing that there's a problem is half the battle. Most people are in denial of their situation. Or some just excuse their situation and say, you know, what will be will be. You know, what can the man do? That is not true. Amen? But this week, we're going to continue. And today, I'm talking about the call to rebuild. So, and I know there's a lot of people that are here uh, that were not here last Sunday. Uh, what I'm going to do in like five minutes, and I'm going to uh, track myself. In five minutes, I'll give you a quick uh, recap. So last week, basically, I talked about two things. I talked about acknowledging that there's a problem, recognizing there's a problem. You know, and when we talk about waste places, it doesn't mean the whole life is degraded. It doesn't mean the whole life is, is in shambles. In fact, for a lot of people, there are, on the surface, things look nice. I'll give you an example from scripture. Naaman. Naaman was a general in the Syrian army, but he was a leper. But most people didn't know that because he was still able to hide it. You know, so there are certain areas of our lives that we are not doing well in. There are certain areas of our lives that have become waste places. There are certain areas of our lives that are unproductive and desolate and barren. And those are the areas that we are addressing. So last week, we, we, we talked about acknowledging the problem. And what we said was Nehemiah, when you read Nehemiah chapter 1, 1 through 4, he acknowledged it. And then he began to pray about it. In uh, Nehemiah uh, 3, the Bible says, they said to him how the situation was. The people in Jerusalem are in great trouble and disgrace. So they recognized and they identified the problem. And the first thing he did was to pray to God a prayer of repentance. The prayer he prayed, we're going to talk about it. Uh, let me skip that. He prayed a prayer of repentance. Can I tell you something? The call to rebuild is a call to prayer. Even though it's not apparent in scripture, when you read chapter 1 and then you go on to chapter 2, you think, okay, he prayed today and then the following day, chapter 2 happened. No. Chapters 1 to 2 took about four months period. Chapter 1 started with in the spring of the year. No, in the fall. It starts with the fall. And then chapter 2 starts with in the spring of the following year. It's about four-month period. So the prayer Nehemiah prayed was not a quick microwave prayer. He prayed and he continued to pray. 
He fasted and he continued to fast. We have a, a national, not national, worldwide fast in the Redeemed Christian Church of God right now. He prayed and fasted and continued to wait and fast until something happened. Somebody say push. Say push. Pray until something happens. He pushed until something happened. Amen. And Nehemiah's prayer was a very interesting prayer. When you read from uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, 4 uh, to 11 to the end, the prayer says a lot about who Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah was. Nehemiah prayed to God. He said, we have sinned. He said, we have disobeyed your commandments. He said, myself and my family. He included himself, even though he was removed, far removed from the problem. You see, many of us, we have our noses in the air, and then we talk about all the people that are not doing well. That is why we have lost compassion for the lost souls. We would rather criticize the lost soul than have compassion for the lost soul. Uh, my prayer is that God will turn that around in the name of Jesus. You know, if you read Luke 18, 9, 9 to 14, there's a story of two people that came to the altar to pray, you know, and this Pharisee said, Oh, Father, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. And the man is referring to a sinner was broken before God. Say, Lord, I can't do with the Lord. Lord, help me. I know I'm a sinner. And God paid attention to the other guy than this one with his nose in the air. Amen. So today, we're talking about the call to rebuild. What is the point of knowing a certain area of my life is in shambles, is broken, is barren, is unproductive, where nothing can be done about it? Amen? The whole point of figuring what the problem is, is so that we can bring about a transformation. The Lord will turn it around for somebody today. In the name of Jesus. And the message I have for you, based on all the examples we have today, is that it's never too late. It's never too late. I don't know why grandma, well, I know why, because she told us yesterday, uh, Ogo was uh, looking for 20% discount. So the school said, if you refer someone, we'll give you a 20% discount. So she called her mom. Say, mom, let's put our hands together for mothers. <laughs> mothers are one of the greatest human beings in this life. And because of her daughter, she signed up. And now they are both graduated. To the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we, we, we see the example in scripture that broken places, uh, a barren land, all of that, God can turn it around. If for, for some people, it could be relationship. Perhaps you don't have a good relationship with your parents. You know, you say, oh, they messed up, they did whatever you thought they did, you know, but they brought you into this world. And most parents, how many parents got a manual when, when you got married and you had your child? You got a manual that this is how to raise children. There's no manual. You're figuring it out as you're going. You're trying to error. You're trusting God all the way. 
you know, John C. Maxwell uh, in uh, Wallace's program on, uh, on Friday, he said, before I became a parent, I gave the best advice on parenting to people. I wrote the best book on parenting until I became a parent. And I had to unlearn all the stuff I was teaching people. <laughs> because you, you can talk about all you like and read books, and then from books you are teaching and saying, oh, until you be. Parents here, I can see them nodding, saying, You are speaking the truth. But very quickly, let's do this. Let's read the scripture. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 through 9 very quickly. And then uh, we, will, we will talk about five points. And if I can't get through five, we will continue from there uh, next time. It says, Nehemiah chapter 2 from verse 1. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in the presence, in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4, the king asked, well, how can I help? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it will please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Jerusalem, to Judah, to rebuild the city where the ancestors are, where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen, sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I will be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. Verse 8. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress. For the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted this request because the gracious hand of God was on me. Verse 9. And when I came to the governors of the uh, province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, the king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. May God bless the reading of his word in Jesus' mighty name. So, Nehemiah went from being a cup bearer to becoming a catalyst for change. Amen? You know why? Because he understood the calling of God upon his life. 
there's a story I heard uh, during this, uh, uh, the Moel conference as well. Kendra Scott. I mean, the ladies would know Kendra Scott. Apparently, she's famous, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know. She's a billionaire, I heard. But she said she started a business. She believed that it was time to go back to the 40s and make hats. So she opened a store, started making hats and all of those things. And for months, the business didn't do well. But she kept promoting, kept promoting. She said, this is the vision God has given me. This is what I really want to do. So she kept pushing at it, kept pushing at it, kept pushing at it. But then she had a side hustle on the side, making jewelry. Interestingly, she may not sell any hat all week, but every day, whatever piece of jewelry she made and put on the side, she sold them all. The business was so bad, the hat business, that she had to shut down the store and go get a job to support herself. After she closed down the store, people were still ordering for her jewelry. She said that was when it dawned on her. Maybe this is what I really should be doing. And that's how she switched. May God open your eyes of understanding. If we're in the wrong business, it doesn't matter how hard you work. Success will be difficult. Grace is given for what God has called us to do. The Bible says, as he ascended to heaven, he gave gifts unto men. And for every gift he gave, he gave commensurate grace. So I can like what my sister is doing and think I can do what she's doing. If I don't have grace for it, she will do it effortlessly, but I will do it struggling. Amen? So what I want to do this morning, in the remaining time, is give us five recipes for success when it comes to rebuilding the waste places. Number one recipe is recognize the call and embrace it. Recognize what? The call and embrace it. The question I ask people is this. What do you have a burden for? You know, I tell people, you go to a church, the choir is singing, you know, and you are the one that noticed that a key was not, or a note, it didn't sound well. For the rest of us, it was a great experience. You know why you can catch it? Because you have a burden for that. For the rest of us, the choir was excellent. They did great. In fact, we are celebrating that we have the best choir in the world. And there you are, picking a wrong note. We don't know. Amen? So what do you have a burden for? Until you recognize your burden, you may never recognize your calling. I'm not saying that's the only thing. I'm just saying that is one of the ways. When you understand your calling and you follow through with your calling, you will see great success in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8, said, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. You know, 
Whatever it is God is exposing you to, whatever it is God is causing you to see, and you are mad that the rest of us are not seeing it, is because it is not our burden. It is not our calling. That is your burden. That is your call. You know, it, like three years ago, uh, Mommy Rewale approached me and said, uh, ah, you know, Pastor, when I went for the funeral in Nigeria, uh, I, I saw a lot of people, widows, suffering in my village. You know, and I want to do something about it. So she told me about it. I said, ah, that's a good idea. So I chipped in some money. You know, that year, she served a hundred widows. And then the following year, she wants to do the same. I said, you can't do it like this. This is definitely a passion, a burden that God has given you. And you can't do it alone. There is no great thing that can be accomplished alone in life. None. If you are going to do great in life, you cannot do it all by yourself. Everybody needs somebody. Can you preach that to your neighbor? This last time, this last December, they served over 240 widows. Giving loans. Mamire Wale is not a doctor. And she's not an IT specialist. What I'm saying is, it's not like she has all the resources in the world, but she has a burden. She has a burden. And because she has a burden, God is sending helpers of destiny to her. As she takes the step, boom, men are supporting. As she takes the step, boom, because she has identified her purpose and she's working in her purpose, God is raising help for her. What are you doing? Where you are today, did God lead you there or did you lead yourself? Oh, even if you led yourself here, now that you're there, would you consider asking God for direction? The worst possible life anybody can live is to work so hard to get all you can and put it in a can and then sit on the can and say, ha, 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 look at me. I made so much for myself. Amen? Because of time, I will rush through. Number two. Number two, very important, and I want you to pay attention to this. There are many people with great ideas. A lot. A lot of people with great ideas. Matter of fact, I was talking to someone yesterday, and she was telling me, she said, ah, Pastor, I need, I need to write something and send to you so that you can be my sounding board. So I have a lot of thoughts in my head. I said, don't let it be in your head. Write it down. Write it down. When you look at the story of Nehemiah, if you just skim through it, you will not get the meat of it. What we just read now, a lot of nuggets there. The Bible says, I went to the king, haven't prayed. So the number two point is prayerful preparation and planning. Prayerful. The next recipe is prayerful preparation and planning. He went before the king, and by the grace of God, the king recognized something about him. Amen? The people that will help you to your next level. 
They are not far from you. Oh, 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 oh. They are very near you. But they are waiting to hear some sound from you. Until they hear those things, their hearts will not be moved to help you. Watch this. Nehemiah is doing his job, pouring the king wine, pouring the king wine, and as he's pouring the king wine, the king said, you look troubled. This is not, this is not your usual self. And I know you're not sick. Said, your heart must be troubled. He said, yes, my king. Long live the king. Why? Because the man that is pouring you wine, if he's frowning, don't drink the wine, no. <laughs> I don't drink the wine, you know. So Nehemiah knew what that meant, that you are pierced before the king and you're pouring him wine off with your head. He said, long live the king. And then he began to speak. When he spoke, you know what he told me, Pastor Bode? His speech told me somebody that had thought about the plan very well. When he prayed, he was praying with expectation. He was expecting for something to happen. The king asked him, he said, how long will you be gone for? When will you return? He said, I told him how long. You know why? He planned it. He thought about it. Many of us have great ideas. You say, ah, if only I can find financiers to finance me. Nobody will give you, well, don't let me say. Nobody will give money to what they don't see value in. Amen? The people that can help you take your life from the ruins, from the desolation, take it from where it is right now and take it to the next level, they are very present and near you. But there are certain sound, there are certain frequency they are not getting from you yet. When the king asked him, he said, I told him, Verse 6, how long I'll be gone for? I love the way the, the King James puts it. He said, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. I set him a time. It means all those four months is praying, is planning. Is planning. It's like you have a great idea. You have a great idea. You need people to finance it. But all the idea is in your head. You don't have a proposal written. You have not done any kind of market survey. You, 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 you have no facts. Say, I have a dream. I have a, keep on dreaming. <laughs> Write it down is what the scripture says. I'm going ahead of myself now. Uh, Habakkuk. He said, write the vision down. Make it plain so that everyone that reads it can run with it. Your idea is good, but what can they read? Do you know... Very rich people, highly, they, they don't have a long attention span. Your pitch, if you can't give your pitch in two minutes, you have lost them. Because there's a lot of people waiting. You know, say, you give your speech and say, this is a report. They take the report, they read it, they find value, they will finance you. Hallelujah. He says, I said to him, how long I'm going to stay? And the king agreed to my request. 
Not only that, after the king agreed to his request, this is a, a thinking man. Not to insult anybody. But this is what I found in my interaction with people. Most people don't really think. They have ideas, but when you see a thinking person, you ask them a question. The response would let you know that they have been meditating on this thing. They are not winging it. When you see somebody winging it, you know. So he said, I told him how long I'm going to be gone. Look at verse 8. And what the king did not ask, he asked. Verse 8, he said, and please give me a letter addressed. No, let's read the previous verse. Verse 7. He said, I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, instructing them to let me safely pass through their territories on my way to Judah. Guess what? He knew he needed permission to travel. He figured that out. So if the king asks me, how long am I going to be gone for? I'm going to tell him this is how long I'm going to be gone for. And then I'm going to ask him, because I know that on the way, some people might want to hinder us, hinder progress. We'll be talking about that next week. Opposition. There will be opposition. He said, I know for a fact that those people west of Euphrates, uh, they are enemies of progress. So he thought about that as well and requested a letter from the king. He said, king, write me a letter to those governors because you have a letter with the king's stamp on it. Anybody harasses you, they are dead. He got the letter. And then, this, may God help us. May, may God help us. We have to be thinking people. We have to be people. Take time. If it's just 20 minutes in a day, turn everything off and just think. And just think. Isn't that what was accredited to uh, uh, Bill Gates? Say so when Bill Gates was young, the mother would be calling, Bill, 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 what are you doing? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Microsoft came from a place of thinking. Too many people talk too much and cannot receive anything inside. Verse 8. Look, watch verse 8. Verse 8, after asking the first one and the king obliged, verse 8, he said, And please give me a letter addressed to King, I mean, to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest. He thought about what he needed. He said, we are going to need timber. We are going to need wood to build this gate and build the fence. He thought about it. He thought about it. Many people are wishful thinkers. Just dreaming. Daydreaming. Daydreaming. No plan. Nothing written. You know, and this is more common in the church. Because we expect the, by the anointing, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would, if you don't brush your teeth, 
you will have holy mass odor. It will be mouth odor plus holy on top of it because of all your ears. What you can do for yourself, God will not do for you. Think about it. If I don't need a brain, God will not have put a brain in this vault. I will need brain to think. Your spirit does not operate in your brain. God gave us a brain for a reason. This man thought about the various scenarios. He knows if when I meet with the king, if it doesn't go this way, it will go that way, and it will go that way, and that other way, and that other way, and he had answers for everything. And the, the Bible says the king granted this request. The king, what? Granted this request. The Bible says, knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Seek, you will find. Ask. If you don't ask, you don't receive. If you don't knock. How many of you, just by the Spirit, you know that there's somebody at the door? The Holy Spirit told me there's somebody at my door. Let me go open the door. If you do it two, three times in a day, you will go and see Dr. Obi or my wife. That's a psychiatric problem. Oh, I'm not kidding. Uh, the new psychiatrist. Oh, I, I, and my sister over there from New York. You're just going to check the door. I believe there's somebody at the door. And then you go back. And then you go, I think there's somebody at the door. Uh, you, you get the point. You get the point. Don't let me belabor it. Watch this. Friends, you must learn to write. Learn to write. It might not be handwriting, but it might be typing. What ideas do you have? What are your thoughts? Some of those thoughts, this time next year, you are forgotten. For this singular reason, I left Android and became an iPhone user. Because... An idea crosses my mind. I put in my notes. I put in my notes. I put in my notes. And then I, they stole my phone, and I could not read. Notes of over five years. I lost it. It pained me so much. The very next day, I went to an iPhone store, and I bought an iPhone. Because I know... If it was an iPhone, it would be on my iPad, it would be on my MacBook, it would be everywhere for me to see. Okay. Apple, Apple owes me some money for, for free ad. Watch this. Watch this. I was so blessed by the Moel conference. Wale said something. He said, do you have a PGP? Somebody said, what is that? Thank you for asking. PGP is personal growth plan. Many people are not intentional about life. We have gotten into a loop. Somebody say loop. So I sleep, I wake up, I pray. I, that's if I pray. <laughs> I pray, I read the Bible, I go to work, I come back, 
I discussed with my wife. I watched TV, the network news, and then uh, uh, play some games, and, and then I go and sleep. It's just a loop. It's just a loop. It's just a loop. Just going on a loop. You don't stop to think what needs to change. What else do I need to do? I told you of a member of this church that told me, he said, Pastor, I'm doing a graduate program. I almost asked him what for. Because I know God has helped him every level. You know? The same with uh, Pastor, Pastor Fola, Dr. Fola. You know? Accomplished in accounting herself and her husband. I can, yes? SCCP, SCCA. All of that, just name it. They already have everything. In my head, I can't stop thinking, why a PhD? But you know what? Thinking people, as you're thinking, you find gaps in your life. And you take steps to fill those gaps. Those gaps are what we're calling desolation or waste places. Some people have become comfortable with the gaps in their life. And they just keep living life with gaps. And you think you will change things by prayer. Well, God will help all of us. Listen. Number three, you need vision. Somebody say vision. Have you noticed that people don't rally around pity and empathy? Well, they rally. They do. <laughs> it's called pity party. When you are part of a pity party, nothing comes out of a pity party. Oh, 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 what a shame. Oh, the devil, oh, ah, the devil is a liar. Ah, the devil is, is a, ah, oh, they, they just say all of that, and that problem remains there. People follow vision. Somebody say vision. If you can cast a vision, do you know uh, Diana? Diana also started this year, or last year rather. Last year, she went to Ghana, because that's where they're originally from. She registered an NGO, a non-profit organization, called it My Mother's Vision. Said this was the vision my mother had for us when we were back in Ghana. But we, she couldn't realize it. So she went back and went to give back to the people. Know what she did? She reached out to me, and some of you, I'm sure, raised some money and went, paid school fees, bought back to school supplies for over 100 kids. Why did we support? Is it because I don't have stuff to do with money? No. I saw a vision. It was not out of pity. When, <laughs> when people pity you, in fact, the kind of money they give you is an insult. Amen. Oh, oh, what a shame. It's ten dollars. You yourself, you look at the money and say, ah, I'm in trouble. But when somebody sees vision, the support is different. I want to say to somebody today. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop dreaming. I know times are hard. 
Things are difficult. You know, uh, many people, a lot of people here were immigrants, you know, from different places in Africa and other places. When you were coming, you had a thought in your mind. If a grandmother of 74 can graduate nurse practitioner school. My wife went through the same thing. I know what I suffered. If she could do it, you can do it. Dr. Obi, a grandmother, did the family practice and then went back and did the psychiatric part of it and she's done with it. My challenge to somebody today is don't give up on yourself. The only reason it's become difficult and nearly impossible is because you have given up. You are the only one that is important in this decision. As long as you have hope alive, it can still be done. It can still be done. Dr. Fola, we're celebrating PhD today. You know why? She didn't give up. She didn't give up. Her son is a neurosurgeon. You say, what more does she want? Uh -uh. Are you the only one? But she's still very active. And she saw the gap in her life. She filled it. She's not, are you looking for a job, Dr. Fuller? No, she's not looking for a job. All that PhD is not to look for a job. Somebody say, I will dream again. I will dream again. You know what? Vision propels you. Vision provides anchor for others to join you in what you're doing. When you have a vision and you can make it plain and people can see it and can understand it, they will join you in that thing that you're doing. Listen to this. Number four, you need strategic mobilization. What do I mean by this? I put in the note, for those of you that have the church app, the note is in the app. Listen to me. There is no self-made anything in this life. Oh, that man is a self-made man. A big fat lie. Nobody becomes anything significant in life all by themselves. You look back, you see a trail of people. The one that lifted your leg. The one that lifted your finger. The one that supported you in one way or another. Everybody needs somebody. You need to know how to mobilize people and coalesce them around your vision. On Friday, I saw everybody running around and I can guarantee you they were not paid. But Wally was able to put together a coalition of people that came to help him so he can succeed in what God has called him to do. When you help others, God will raise help for you. In the name of Jesus. You need courage. You need courage. Remember uh, Gideon. The Bible said concerning Gideon, God appeared to him, said, thou mighty man of valor, he said, what, me? He said, yeah, you. Go in this, your might, and all of that. And then, but God said to him, look, you cannot continue in the old way 
with this new thing that we want to do. You have to go tear down the altars of your father's house, the altars of Baal. Go read the scripture. The Bible says because Gideon was afraid, he tore down the altars at night. Don't say, I have courage, and use reckless courage to get yourself in trouble. Oh, he was smart about it. The Bible says he went at night. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. If you are a fearless person, you say, I don't have any fear. <laughs> I am afraid for you. Because fear is a good thing. It checks you. It checks some of your excesses so that you are focused on the important things. Don't, Nehemiah's courage was not a reckless courage. I want to conclude by saying, God loves you. Okay, three people. God loves you. He loves you. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hosea 14, 15, 2, 14, 15. He said, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. Amen. God is talking about somebody here. Amen. He's going to woo you back. Amen. In fact, this whole message is to woo you back. Amen. Amen. Verse 15, I will return her vineyards to her. Amen. God will restore your hope. Amen. God will restore your dream. Amen. And transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. Please rise to your feet. Rise. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We encourage you to fellowship with us here at Salvation Center if you are in the San Antonio area. For more information, visit our website at www.rccgsanantonio.org.